0: may i have your attention please
1: good evening
2: you're listening to straight talk with dean and mark we thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show
0: Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dana Mark. Man, it's the 16th of August already. It's about 79 degrees up here in the Great Garden State of New Jersey. And I just found a couple of articles here that might be of a little interest for you. Um, I know people have used Snopes on the website to kind of dispel myths and to check the validity of a statement or something like that. But Snopes' co founder was banned for plagiarizing dozens of stories on, on the fact checking site. And sometimes the facts are stranger than fiction, and sometimes the facts are plagiarized. The co founder of myth debunking website Snopes has been exposed as a plagiarist, according to a BuzzFeed news investigation. David Mickelson, who launched Snopes in 1995 with the mission to be the internet's definitive fact checking site, was suspended by his company. Doreen Marciani, Snopes VP of Editorial and his managing editor, confirmed the BuzzFeed after their reports uncovered no less than 54 plagiarized articles by Mickelson. Let us be clear. Plag- plagiarism undermines our mission and values full stop, Marciani said in the statement on Friday. There is no place in any context within this organization. And in response to the investigation, Mickelson said, there is no excuse for my serious lapses in judgment. I'm sorry. Now, BuzzFeed wrote that Mickelson's Snopes post contained phrasing, even entire paragraphs listed from outlets such as the New York Times, CNN, The Guardian, the L.A. Times and the BBC between 2015 and 2019, often under the byline Snopes staff or while using the pseudonym, pseudonym Jeff Zoranandia. Zaranandia was illustriously described in his Snopes bio as a Pulitzer Prize winning writer and someone talented at mule skinning who seemingly informed stories on everything from art and culture to national politics had in the past drawn ridicule from the likes of former Donald Trump campaign advisor Roger Stone, BuzzFeed said. Snopes reporters have also jointly issued a statement writing that they strongly condemn these poor journalistic practices, adding that they work hard every day to uphold the highest possible journalistic and ethical standards. Now, as of late Friday, Snopes had retracted 60 articles and disabled advertisements on those webpages, according to the New York Times, and will continue making retractions as they conduct their own internal investigation. The company was said to have already flagged 140 articles for review. One such crib passage, written by John Shoup for NBC News, appeared on Snopes.com under Mickelson's own byline, Muhammad Ali, the silver-tongued boxer and civil rights champion, who famously proclaimed himself the greatest and then spent a lifetime living up to the billing, is dead. Mickelson attempted to explain for his crimes in an interview with BuzzFeed. I didn't come from a journalism background, he told him. I wasn't used to doing news aggregation. A number of times I crossed the line to where it was copyright infringement. I own that. And Mickelson insists that Zaranandia was created as a stress relief thing during the fraught twenty sixteen presidential election when the concept of fact checking became an ethical beacon for some and a political bane to others. Let's have some fun and watch these people vent their spleen, inventing reasons why this non existent persona is biased, he said. However, insiders revealed to BuzzFeed that Mickelson's habit was driven by a need to drive traffic to websites website by being one of the first sites to rehash the most trending news headlines. He would instruct writers to copy text from other sites, post them verbatim so they looked like we were fast and could scoop up traffic, and then change the story in real time. Slope's former manager and editor, Brooke Benkowski told BuzzFeed, I hated it, and I wouldn't tell any of the staff to do it, but he did it all the time The revelation comes in the aftermath Of the heated divorce between Mickelson And Snopes co-founder Barbara Hamill In 2015 Which led to Hamilton's share of the company being sold To tech firm proper media In 2017 The company filed a suit against Mickelson Claiming he mismanaged Snopes' finances And at the same time Mickelson launched his own GoFundMe campaign To raise money for the website So it goes back to an old school saying and some of you who may be old enough believe half of what you see and none of what you hear and this is like a prime example of believing half of what you see because it was fabricated on the one site that everybody went to to check to make sure that things weren't fabricated how about that that's crazy right Well, in other news, this one is a little weirder, but it's happening a lot now. Um, Cardinal Burke, who criticized the vaccine, is now on a ventilator with COVID. This is written by Emily Crane. So a prominent U.S. Cardinal who criticized the vaccine is now on a ventilator after getting COVID-19. Raymond Burke, 73, he being been treated in a Wisconsin hospital just days after confirming he had tested positive for the virus. Cardinal Burke has been admitted to the hospital with COVID-19 and has been assisted by a ventilator. Doctors are encouraged by his progress, a tweet from his account said on Saturday. Four days prior, Burke had tweeted, Praise be Jesus Christ. I wish to inform you that I have recently tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. Thanks be to God, I am rested comfortably and receiving an excellent medical care. Please pray for me as I begin my recovery. Let us trust in divine providence. Now, throughout the pandemic, Burke has been skeptical of the vaccine and the lockdown measures introduced to stop the spread of the virus. He claimed last year that any potential vaccine mandates introduced by U.S. states violates the integrity of his citizens. And while the state can provide reasonable regulations for the safeguarding of health, is not the ultimate provider of health, God is. Whatever the state proposes must respect God and his law, he said, at a Rome Life Forum in Italy in May last year. Now, at one point during the forum, Burt referenced how the Johnson & Johnson shot was produced using a cell line derived from an aborted fetus, saying it must be clear that this is never morally justified to develop a vaccine through the use of the cell lines of aborted fetuses. The thought of the introduction of such a vaccine into one's body is rightly apart. Now, Johnson & Johnson did use fetal cell lines in the development of this vaccine, but this is not the same as fetal tissue or DNA, and the vaccine itself does not contain any aborted fetal cells, according to Reuters. Now, fetal cell lines are derived from decades-old fetal cells, not recent abortions, which then replicate over decades in laboratory settings. Fetal cell lines are thousands of times removed from the original fetus cells. Burke also referred to COVID as the Wuhan virus during a homily in La Crosse, Wisconsin in December. Burke said the virus had been used by certain forces inimical to families and to the freedom of nations and to advance their evil agenda. He added, These forces tell us that we are now the subject of the so-called Great Reset, the new normal which is dictated by us by their manipulation of citizens and nations through ignorance and fear. He criticized some churchgoers for not believing that Jesus could protect them from COVID. It's not clear if Burke, who was a former archbishop in St. Louis, ended up receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. But um to tell you this, Cardinal, what it looks like that's kind of rough there. And uh, God gave you the vaccine to make, I mean, the COVID to make you a believer since you thought it was uh imagine all the thin air thanks to the dude that used to be at 1600 before this one had everybody believe in something that it was something magical and it wasn't happening until people started passing away but anyway it's the six man dean geronimo and i'm in the studio from nj to nc with my right hand man mark lee so mark tell me what's good in your neck of the woods my brother
3: Well, one, you caught me in the middle of a bite. Two, it's raining. So it's raining big time over here and all Uh, of that. So like I said, it's not raining right now, but it was raining earlier. Actually went out recently and got caught up in rain and all of that. So definitely some crazy rain going on. And uh, I think we had some earlier today in that regard. So definitely that's happening. A number of other things are happening also. Of course, I just had a great show with a gentleman that was in the penal system. So he's actually on the inside, not in the guard situation where you are, but he's now written a book that is geared to our kids, uh, like a children's book. So he was talking about some of the lessons learned and a lot of the things, things that you talk about in terms of responsibility mm-hmm. and even the way the system is laid out is stuff that he's learned from going in and even talked about And sometimes we think the criminals are doing this because of supporting their family. And he's like, no, there's other ways you can do that. And he's talking about the thrill and some of the other things and how he had to learn the hard way. You know, sometimes people got to be bumped upside the head to learn and all of that. So he had that Mm conversation. And then we also had Daryl Perry on another show where he was talking about insurance and the fact that he comes out of your generation, the hip-hop generation. So we were talking about Ninth Wonder and the fact that he dumped out, as well do, some hip-hop Versus on his LinkedIn channel And other things So he was definitely sharing that Nice So things have been rocking and rolling And keeping busy as always Trying to keep things going in a positive direction Just like I know you are as well Yeah It's
0: been real busy on this end Man and um, we'll have to have a conversation Offline about some things You know it's just been Real busy Man and I'm like you juggle things and you try to get it to work, and you just hope that you don't go crazy in the process. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, we're gonna make it work. Like I said, even if even if the uh, things that are going on in your life mean that we got to do some. Reassessments and realigning, some real whatever we might have to do. You know, it's a team effort, and I've always believed in team effort. So, like right. I said, I got to take on more of a responsibility on certain aspects, or you got to take on other kinds of responsibilities. Or we have to do some date switches or any kind of things else. We are it's a team, and we're trying to make this thing a media thing that will uh, last for a while. And it has been lasted for a while, but it will continue to last for a while. And you know. But there's always ways that we can work around it and all of that. So I figure what's going on, and we will make it happen one way or the other and just keep things ripping and rolling. But, you know, we can also be flexible.
1: Oh,
0: yeah, that's true, man. That's true. And, in fact, I guess we got somebody waiting uh, at the door to find out who that is and bring them on in and we're going to roll for the night. (laughs) All right. Thank you for calling Straight Talk with Dana Mark. You are now on the line. Please tell us who you are and where you're calling from.
3: Hello? We got anybody there? Hello? Hello? Hello. Can you
2: hear me?
3: We can hear hear you.
2: (laughs) Hi, this is Kimberly Bell. How are you?
3: All right. Doing good, Kimberly. Glad that we were able to connect to the wonders of social media and everything. Tell folks, including Dean, a little bit about yourself and the different projects that you've got going on, because I was totally amazed with what you've got going on, but I'm sure Dean would like to hear more about it and which part of the world you're calling us from.
4: Oh, okay. Well, I'm calling you from the Eastern Shore. I'm like 25 minutes from Ocean City right now. I'm really in Ocean City, but but my house, uh, one of my houses are like 20 minutes from there, and it's been cloudy, so it's supposed to be cloudy all week. So um, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm from. I'm in from uh, Salisbury, Maryland on the Eastern Shore, raised there
3: yeah definitely raised there and doing some great things in <laughs> that space and everything. How have things been going just in terms of like you know we're in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of a crazy world, so how are you doing just in terms of your own health and the health of your family
4: well it's been it's been something we my family um and uh the immediate family. Three of my daughters and I did get COVID last year, and I thought that it was going to put a delay in the book. So only two of us got hospitalized, but we survived it. But, uh, yeah, we all are waiting for the vaccine (laughs) while we're building up our um, immune system because we wasn't vaccine, but um, there were – several people that was in there in the hospital when I got put in there for one day, that was vaccine that had the same symptoms that I had. And I don't know if they were hospitalized at that time or not, but um, I know um, they were there. So, it's been wow. it's been something. It, it really hit us, but I'm just glad that all of us have survived it. None of the kids, even though with my my uh, youngest daughter, she's five, and the grandkids were tested um, positive. They didn't experience any symptoms, so that was that was good. It was just the adults, so wow. we're really blessed. Really blessed.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like it. Tell us about the uh, yeah. book. Like I said, uh, folks that are watching are probably very curious about this book. Cause you just said book, they were probably like, author book. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right. Well, see, I've been a case manager, and I've been in uh, um, that sector as far as the as far as my career o- over ten years. I've worked at social service. I've done case management and um, non profit agencies, and for the last five years, it's been um, with uh, the state. So um, I have always um, tried to tell whenever it would come about or it was an opportunity, bits and pieces of my story about being misdiagnosed, about being adopted, about um, abandonment, um, uh, just um, even in um, the school system before it was um, inclusion as far as the special education. I was in that type of era where there was, um, it was called resource. So the bullying <clears throat> was was really real there for six years being in the same resource room and kids my age would know that. And then I would have to go out to the re- to recess and um the special education um teacher that I had that I was fortunate to have for six years at that time, I was uh strong enough at one, one day and tell her and told her, Hey, you know, I don't want to go out to recess because the kids are picking on me. They call me, you know, little retarded little girl and she was like, You know what, you can be my helper, you don't have to go out there but it was real then. So any opportunity I was able to get with any of the families or something like that about advocating about um, the bullying and the um, misdiagnosed and um, really seeking the right uh, diagnosis of intellectual disability because I did have an intellectual disability, but it was misdiagnosed back then because of the test. But um, right. getting back to the COVID so when the COVID started happening, it shut us down where we wasn't required to do any home visits. Well, it shut me down so much that I was like, you know what? Years and years and years, people were like, you have to get your story out, even prophesize. Uh, and I'm not a good, I'm not really. I'm always when somebody wants to say, let me prophesy to you, like my antennas go up. I'm like, please don't be saying that crazy <laughs> because, but. Um, it's even been said many a times about the book and my story and I've always had the desire to like you know I really need to do this I really need to get it out and so with that COVID with the pandemic that's when I was still going through my own personal issues with my own therapist and I said you know what this is the time so I settled down and I started from the beginning to the end, and it was a total release, but it was a total movement that I knew that I needed to not just share, uh, able to share my whole journey, and it finally came to me like in the in the beginning of the first chapter was accepting and embracing it all. So that's like the cover of I totally sat down and just let me accept my journey, and let me embrace it all.
3: Yeah. Hey Kimberly, you brought a several. Important parts and everything. One, I was just talking to a gentleman not that long ago. It was actually for another um, broadcast and everything, and he was talking about being abandoned as well and being abandoned at a very young age. And a lot of times we don't even think about the fact that this still happens in the twenty first century. And of course, you're yeah. of a different generation, but it still happens to our kids now. So, I'd love to know your yeah. message for the folks that might even be thinking about abandoning their kids and not even dealing with them. Because, like I said, you're the second person that I've now had the pleasure of talking to in the less than two weeks that have gone through that experience.
2: Yes, the
4: foundation is, and I and I couldn't avoid starting from the beginning because that was the beginning. When I was six years old, that was my beginning with my, it was kinship. Now that's called my um, biological father-sister. But mm-hmm. it was both parents, the mother and the father, biological mother and the father, that abandoned me. My my, my yeah. father took me to his sister's home and said I will be back and never came back. And I was six. And that foundation, like I said, is so crucial because as I was going through my journey, I'm getting older here. I'm going through post, uh, PTSD and um, trying to get familiar with this new home, new structure and everything. It was like, what happened about me to be rejected and to be abandoned with people that I know, that I trusted, that had an accountability, that had a responsibility. I was given as a gift to them. So where, where, where did you fall short of your accountability and responsibility? And now I have to grow up and understand which there is love and forgiveness, but it's nothing wrong with me of being rejected, that's what you chose to do. You chose to do that. Well, wow. Right.
3: And the other thing that you brought up as well was um, therapy. And I know a lot of times we are – scared to talk about therapy. Uh, we actually sometimes try to avoid it like it's the plague because we have a hard enough time going to see our physical doctors, much less our therapists. So i just wondered how important right. has therapy been to your journey and everything because I think that that's something that we as a community, well, people in the black and brown community intentionally avoid if you want to add the red community as well. But I think it's just a part of the world that the minority community avoids directly. So I was wondering how did you deal with that and how you even cope with that and how important do you think therapy is for our existence?
4: Right. Well, it's, like you said, it's, it's taboo to our black culture. And the older, <laughs> the more, you know, uh, more that they kind of shun from um, embracing that. So with my older um the older parents because they, they was up there in age that adopted me when I went through the educational um in school, they even offered that. The special ed teacher offered that. But you know, they were very structured in A and design, you know what A and Design is about. And they said prayer. God. God will take care of that. But through the years I had to embrace and that's where the acceptance and embrace came came through is without Me seeking help for my mental health and understanding Mm. all those issues, those underlying issues, that foundation that was broken. Because you you being abandoned as a child is broken. That foundation is broken. I had to learn how to use the tools to be healthy mentally, to be able to raise my children and let them see me love myself.
3: Mm. That's real deep and you know? everything. I right. definitely hear you. And definitely, that's real deep. One of the things you also talk about in that concept of what you just mentioned is the role of the church and i know sometimes the our churches can be great institutions and but sometimes they can also not be willing to have those harsh conversations around mental health and sometimes they don't do a good job of that in my opinion but i was just wondering your thoughts about one your own role of having that spiritual connection and that faith journey but also the role of maybe churches not doing enough in that mental health space
4: yes um the and I'm I'm very blessed without my adopted dad really undergirding me with the scriptures and as you were saying combined with the mental health I don't I I really I really don't believe I would be where I'm at now so I'm really blessed to have that foundation with the church and and um you know, to other people, you know, whatever they believe in, a higher power or whatever, I know that it was God that he continued to um, let me know about and to trust and to um, keep in my mind that he loved me more than even them, you know, and that, um, like I said, the scriptures that held me together, I remember him praying. I remember him teaching me how to pray, and I remember him saying, you know, just say how you feel, Kimmy, just say how you feel. You know, and I I took that literally. And what I said during almost the sixth, well, I was in the sixth grade, but I wasn't completely out. I, I remember praying a simple prayer saying to um, God, I just don't want to be different. I knew I was different. And so, honestly, That moment after I prayed and I started taking tests to go in middle school, I tested completely out. You wouldn't know that I had spent six years reading the same book um, for six years and um, resource at that elementary school if you didn't read the paper. It was more of paper and even the statistics of my background, but it was that prayer that moved it. But like I said, the mental health even with the church, and I got structured in the from six years old. We never changed churches. We had the same church the uh, the whole time before I, you know, got pregnant at fourteen. But um, it was the the same church. Now I remember before six years old. We were in Pentecostal. My dad um, played the guitar. He was a bass guitar player. So it was a difference. I knew at six years old that was a different church and a different background. But both of those churches did not embrace mental health. They did not embrace you going to a therapist. It was more like you pray to God and what what goes on in your home stays in your home. Well, and then a whole
3: lot of stuff happens. Yeah, that's very true. You alluded to it earlier, which is education. And I sometimes think that we do we have a hand of, of testing too much to the test. And I've actually worked for a testing company, so I can say that is one that's been involved in that field because I've worked for a testing company for a number of years. And even I sometimes get frustrated because the teachers and even us as um, those that are administering the tests, are getting these kids to um, – you know, get whatever their test element is and don't do a mm-hmm. good enough job of actually having them learn critical thinking. So I'd love to know your thoughts about that as well.
4: About the test and everything? Yes.
3: Yeah. And how it impacts um, mental health. So I, a lot of times.
4: Yeah, I think they're they're getting better because, like I said, in the 70s they wasn't enough tests but i also know that um as far as what i would i would say personally that that helped me and i still sometimes struggle i struggle as this lord knows if they didn't have spell check on, on on these computers i would i would be out of a job but even with me getting um going through my college years and papers i had to work extra hard because of my um the memory and just retaining information. Now, that's not mild retardation that they not diagnosed me of, but it was a comb- combination. You were talking about the mental health of the PTSD, they eliminated. So once that gets lined up, I was post-traumatic. My mind couldn't retain anything because I was a child just dropped off and my dad would come back and I would be waiting for him. And he said, I'll be there and never showed up. And my mother that I love so much never came back and got me, but kept others. And I was placed Mm -hmm. in the bedroom at six and said, you go ahead. This is your bedroom from now on. You go to sleep. So when your mind is not It's it's, it's in a disarray. How can uh, a test equally, do you get what I'm saying, collaborate with our people or anybody?
3: What do you say to those folks that we're seeing the early kids and even the kids probably in uh, your generation, and I'm actually close to 60, so maybe even some that were going to school in the 70s and 80s, being overly not just tested but medicated because I sometimes wonder about some of those kids who were given Ritalin and some of the even harsher drugs but maybe they were just hyperactive maybe they didn't have this issue right. or that issue but they were you know got caught in the Ritalin trap and things along those lines so I just wonder do you think that maybe our schools depend too much on medication to help people that might just be plainly hyperactive or um, you know overly active but not anything that necessarily needs medication
4: I honestly do. I just like there's misdiagnosis. I believe there's also mismedication management for uh that's mental health. And some people abuse it and some people you know, um don't get the 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 help that they need, the quality help that they need because how can they when they're zoned out? When they're over medicated.
1: Okay.
4: There there's tools that need to be taught. Along with, and I'm not saying some you know some people don't need medication that medication doesn't work. I had to start um taking medication, but I was very clear with my doctor and um of when I felt emotionally my anxiety was up and what I was going through in that season of life, and when my hormones and she was right on it with my hormones it was going through the um the um the menstrual cycle," she said. "This is what I want you to do. Let's start with tasks and see how that you know just um, um, calms you out, just makes you relax a little bit. We don't want you," to, I said. "I don't want to be zoned up, but I, 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 I. The older I get, the more I sense my body and my mind is 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 just all over the place. So and it's you- got to be some open communication, and it's got to be some." True and authentic communication to get this right help that people need.
3: No, no doubt about that, and everything. Definitely, that's very true. And all of that. But you've also been through a lot, and there's been a lot that you've been going through in your life. And I was just wondering, how have those journeys impacted your life? Because I know in reading your bio, you've been through not just that early part of your life, which we're talking about now, but you've also been through, and you alluded to it earlier, teen pregnancy and also domestic violence and abuse that was involved in that as well. So, how did you, um, one, get into those situations, and how did you cope with those situations as well?
4: Well, the accepting and embracing started helping me to understand me and then making sure that I break patterns, especially the domestic um, abuse patterns. of not loving me and not thinking or being in a mentality that I deserve, you know, any type of abuse. I don't and accepting yeah. that and embracing that. And if you got to bring a beast to me, you're not for me. In any kind of way. I'm not for you and you're not for me. And I had yeah. to get away from that mentality of that attachment. Oh, what because I like him and because we we click on physical level, we click on um uh, um, uh the physical and kind of like the emotional level, then then this one can't can't go because of this attachment because um others have left. No, not meant for you.
3: Now, that makes a lot of sense. How important do you think it is to um, recognize the trauma that you went through and to talk about the trauma? And I'm asking because I'm good friends with a friend of mine on LinkedIn, Nancy Burroughs, and she's actually open and she doesn't even mind me mentioning the name. She's actually told me to say that so I can do that even in this context. But she definitely went through some harsh abuse at the hands of her grandfather, as I recall. But she's very open about that in her conversations mm-hmm. on live streams as well as even her speaking tours and just the other the platforms that she's out, because of course she wants to make sure that others don't go through the same things that she went through as a youngster, and she's now probably in her, uh, somewhere in the 40s, so I want to say towards the middle to late part, but i was just saying, how important do you think it is to have that conversation?
4: I think it's very important, because I came to a conclusion in my life, without me sharing my journey, my journey was meant for nothing, for no reason, and I know that okay. that's 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 a lie. I I made it through to share. I made it through to let people know. Look, there's been stories and there's been um, mothers that have talked about it, that kids took their life when they were bullied. There's been stories that people just gave up when they were molested and could not go on or went to, um, you know, drugs or, you know, just checked out. But when you survive and you go from one journey to another, it's meant to share to help someone else.
3: Yeah, exactly. You got to share, and you got your your pains may help somebody else to either cope with what they're going through, or it may right. help them even not be in that situation and all of that. Um, At what point did you decide in your own life that you wanted to use your traumas and your situation to pass that message and to get that message to people that they could have a healthy family?
4: At one point, I believe I always knew. I just had to make sure that it was the right time for me, and my healing totally had to come, and I had to be set free with the acceptance and embrace because my outcomes – is, and 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 it'll tell you at the end of the book, it's not a Cinderella outcome. I would love for my whole family, my my um my um biological father, he passed away, but he did get it right before he did. Um, I'm still in the same area as my biological mother, my biological siblings, my um adopted mother, and relationship is none. So no acceptance, but I'm a survivor. That's what God placed me to do, to go through this journey, to be able to say to someone and, and, and let them know it's not about forgiveness. It's about forgiving and loving, but also accepting. You can't change nobody. The only thing you can change is yourself and the actions, the uh, responses to their actions. That's the only Yeah, that's
3: thing. all you can do it. Yeah, that's the only thing you can do is put that up and definitely do that. How important for folks that have gone through the kind of dysfunction that you're talking about, do you think it is for them to connect with that other half, like if they're in an adopted situation, do you think it's important for them to connect with that um, natural family? Or is that something they can even add to the um, disconnect, or some people might even say the dysfunction?
4: I think it's very important. I had someone come out to me um, and just say, you know, just ask me, uh, they're similar in their own life or in their family, do you think I was wrong for letting them know the truth? The truth in any way should be exposed. I really believe it's important if a child is adopted that they should know their biological, if they feel like they should reach out, they wanna reach out, they should, and take it from there. 'Cause a lie is just gonna fester and it's just for me, um, I wouldn't I, I I I was convinced that from the time that I started going to church with my adopted family that I was not living a lie of a on a lie because that's pretty much what was said to me in the very beginning. Now, if anybody comes to you and they ask you a question, you let them know I'm your mother. There, um, he's your father. And I had periodically people coming because we're in a small town and said, "I believe you're kin to it." No, she's not. And but this was my really paternal aunt. Why? Why is it so forbidden to, to just tell the truth? Why? But anyway. I I encourage that um, to have the truth exposed, and, and they have to take it from there because, it, for me, it would be more hurtful for me to have a lie. Now, in my situation, I remember saying that I really believe my hurt wouldn't be as bad if I was a baby and I was given away because I wouldn't have known them. I stayed with these parents up until six years. Now. If anybody can understand that, then they're kind of crazy, but this is my story. And I sure. I just always said that, but even if I was a baby and an infant, I still would want to know the truth of who my biological parents are. Sure.
3: No, that makes a lot of sense. And as far you know, see, we sometimes hear folks saying that um, there is no way that um, they would ever get in a domestic violence situation, and sometimes they also say that they won't get into it because of their gender. Like, a lot of times men don't even want to admit that they have been in domestic violence situations, and I will plainly say that I have been in some that were even not physically abusive, at least emotionally abusive, and that could be a form right. of domestic violence as well. So I was just wondering... Right. what. Do you say to those that don't want to even accept the notion that domestic violence can be a very real problem, and it can, in fact, even man.
4: It it can. It's very real. It can be in, in a physical, mental, and emotional way. And abuse is abuse anytime it brings ne- negativity and harm to the other form of abuse. And um, when I seen my father and my mother just before I got dropped off, and the physical abuse. Now, this was one of the worst fights, and I remember him in the car in the front seat, and this is how vivid it is. This is how a child can be so scarred. It was Tonight is Tonight playing, um, Tonight is Tonight to Make Me Your Woman that was playing on their 8-track, and we were going all the way around this area trying to get a babysitter to get to uh for my older sister and, my, and myself that was in the back seat to get dropped off everywhere he stopped nobody would take us so it started getting close to tonight and i remember him pulling uh, um to a gas station and he just kept hitting her all in her face and blood was everywhere and i just sat there i was like frozen and i remember my sister going off now, getting to the physical abuse, and this is why I'm telling that part of the story is because you wouldn't think that I would be one of the people that my first relationship would be in a physical abuse when I witnessed that and i and I did every well, last one of my relationships pretty much was physical abuse
3: well. And I was going to say so that comes back to that cycle because too often we get right. caught in that cycle, and I sometimes we even perpetrate the cycle on a new relationship. Cause like I said, I think that that's part of what happened in the emotional abuse situation I was in. Because then you know, in back conversations, and even in. More recent conversations. In one case, because I am still friends with at least one of them, there has been uh-huh. admittance that there was some of them transferring some of what has happened their to them
4: hurt, their into their yeah. into
3: their new relationship. So, can you talk wow. about a little bit about that? Because I think that that happens too often. That you know, if you are abused, and you then bring that into the new relationship, which then abuses the new partner.
4: Right, and when I started. Writing and I started looking, thinking back on like my first marriage and, um, no, not my first one, my second one. Um, I started thinking about their, um, their foundation, their past, and every last one of them, pretty much, um, their past relationships, they physically abused their, their, um, mate. And had some past issues that they hadn't dealt with, either um, didn't have the father role model, laugh or whatever, and that's why it's so important for when you connect with someone and you get to now. Now, I'm, I, I it took me almost. To, I'm now fifty. I just settled, celebrated my birthday, turned forty-eight on the thirtieth, but. I now see why it's so important how, when you get a mate or have a significant other that you all communicate and understand your past because, like you said, hurt people transfer hurt too, and um how they were raised and what's important to them, what's their fundamentals um uh um how how they treat their um their mother or father if they're still living how they treat um people in general you know so it's just it's just it was just an eye opener and what you're talking about is so true about and the, and and I had warning signs but I'm here to tell to share the story when you have warning signs everyone starts having warning signs and sometimes we uh a lot of times we just ignore them or make excuses of them and like you said refuse to break that pattern
3: and speaking of not breaking the pattern, we've actually brought this up on a couple of shows here on Straight Talk, but definitely I sometimes feel that we also let our institutions, and I know that you have a theology background as well, kind of be a um, partner um, in the crime, so be a uh an accomplice, that's what I was looking for, an accomplice in the crime. Because I know whether it's abuse, a lot of times the churches don't want to talk about that. They want to pretend like it's not real, even in their congregations. And sometimes they have some very, in my mind, warped views about divorce. Because like I said, I've got some friends that have gotten divorced within the church, and sometimes they were uh, divorcing because of an abusive situation. And, of course, the church was trying to sing that song, which I understand, which is, you know, this it's through um, – the good and the bad through sickness and and all of that kind of stuff, but, but sometimes you need to get out of the situation. As you right. know, the divorce rate is high. There are a lot of people that are getting out of the situation. But I do sometimes wonder if our institutions are doing a good enough job of actually having the conversation so that people understand that it is okay to get out of it and that, you know, I'm not the man above, so I'm not going to make that judgment. But in my mind, I'm thinking yeah. he's probably going to look at the the entire picture. I don't think he's just going to look at one chapter and make a, mm-hmm. a, a, a judgment call on that. I think he's going to look at you know the book of life and if that's one aspect of life that maybe you got wrong maybe there's other things that you did right and therefore you get the pass. but that's just my thought I don't know what your thoughts are but do you sometimes feel that the churches do kind of um cause a lot of unnecessary conflict by not being as supportive as they should be
4: I believe they do I believe they do and um it's a shame and I hope I hope you know like you guys and um, us getting more vocal about it, it starts getting better. Because as it got to be where we have to make that determination on our own, and I've been there. I have even went to a um, on the um, our appointed pastor at the time when I was grown and seeking help and saying, you know, I want you to talk to my husband and tell him to keep his hands to himself. And his thing was, are you giving him sex? Yeah. What does that have to do with it? And that pretty much if I acted right, I would be in another car or something like that. He just totally dismissed. So I shouldn't have had to act on my own without any support and I didn't, and I had to, of how do I want my life to be? Do I want my life to be a punching bag? Anytime that he feels threatened or feels like that he is going to lose control, and I got to come and walk in this pulpit and hide or turn my face because I've been hit, and no one in here understands.
1: Well, you're right, But I had, I had to
4: choose that. I had to choose that on my own for How do I want the rest of my life to be? How do I want my kids to see me?
3: Well, and too often we don't even think about that and everything, and we just have these societal elements that don't even want to deal with it and are afraid to deal with it and all of that. And you said that he brought up the whole concept of where you satisfy your husband enough (laughs) in that regard. And I think that that's just a – total uh, uh, misassessment and misabuse of power. So I do sometimes think that we have these institutions that misabuse their power. And that was something similar with what I was talking about with my friend. because I think that, I don't know if they had that kind of graphic conversation, but they were definitely trying to keep them together. And these were actually European-Americans, and they were basically feeling that they needed to work it out among themselves, even though, from what I understand, there was some serious abuse going on. In that environment, and they were involved in the music space and some other spaces. But I'm just oftentimes shocked at what some of the ministers suggest.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah
3: what are some of the strongest life lessons that you feel that you have learned from the experiences that you've been through as well as through the book and everything? So it's actually two parts because the life lessons are probably continual life lessons and it might have been something separate that you learned from the book. So it's actually a two-part question, but I guess we'll start with the life lessons and then the lessons learned from the book.
4: Well, the life lessons would be... the love, the peace, the acceptance all had to start and the healing worked with me. I had to start with me. No. And We're I had to act you. on it. Yes. And I had to act on it. I'm a door. Not a, right. I had to act on every last one of them. Um, and so, and then the other part um with the book.
3: What you learned from the writing of the book.
1: Hmm.
4: I guess I would really... I'm sorry.
3: Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, was
4: okay. just, uh, I guess I would, would that, really I say, to. as far as the, the book, um, my journey has... Does not have to be, um, I, I really don't have to be ashamed of my journey. My journey is my journey. I still have some more journey to go, but it was meant for a reason. And I'm so glad that I did this journey when I finally finished that my book, and um, like I said, with the COVID, and um, I got the word that it was ready to go on Amazon. This was in August. And um, my oldest daughter, she just turned 32. She read it in one night. I was so glad that I was able to hear her say when I asked her what was her favorite part in the book, she said, the end. She said, it was very sad, mom. She said, but the end. And so that gave me confirmation that that book Because I still have some fight, I still have some journey to go, but that journey that I had from six years old that I talk about up until now is I wouldn't change a bit to be able to tell someone else that you can survive, you can have peace, you can have joy, you can have love, you can can have a relationship that you don't have to have any abuse in it.
3: That actually raises an interesting question. What advice would you give to somebody that wanted to get involved with somebody that had gone through the kind of things that you've gone through, like whether it's um, abandonment, whether it's um, domestic violence, whether it's whatever the different – Crosses, because we all have crosses to bear. But those that might want mm-hmm. to get involved with those that might have deeper crosses, what advice would you give to folks about that if they want to get involved with people that might have deeper crosses than they have?
4: Well, understand first, we're all human, and like you said, right. we all have a past. But understand their story, and and understand and see and and if this someone that they want to invest in their healing process, how do they get healed? Who are they right. now? Because I wouldn't be the person I really didn't understand my resil um my um essence that's the word my essence until I finished that book.
3: Right. So you didn't understand your own journey that, until after you finished yes, your own book.
4: Yes. 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 Yeah. And now I embrace them all, and well. I know that it's meant for the world. Now, is it given to everybody and knowing that everybody's going to receive it? Or this is when we have to learn those lessons and say, oh no, you're wrong person. We're talking about a relationship. Yeah.
3: Right. And definitely uh, the other question I was going to ask you is I mentioned that you're not the first person that I have met that has went through that abandonment kind of situation. Are you shocked when you find that there are so many people that are being abandoned? I mean, we hear it even on the news sometimes. Or is it just something that's part of our society where we have this kind of throwaway society in a lot of aspects of society? So you're not surprised that you see Kid, uh, maybe even younger than you. I think I've heard of even cases of six months and definitely babies being abandoned right, as right. well. But is it part of that throwaway society that is ours?
4: It's it's sad, but it is. And I'm like you said, I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked. I'm like both. And what I am though is like the first day that it was released, someone um, sent me a Facebook Messenger, and I don't even know the female, and she said, "Your life." Is similar to mine. What I am shocked, and I'm hoping that will um, be more of with with your with you guys and other people in the podcast and and media, is that it gets exposed. That yeah. we start being real and getting healed. Because the more we won't talk about it, the more we hide it, and the more we don't say, okay, to these parents, you have an accountability. I was 14 years old, and I knew I had an accountability and a responsibility to that child that they laid in my arms. I was the youngest one at that hospital, but I knew I had a responsibility that day of a life and mm. that she was a gift.
3: Well. Wow. And that was a gift that you needed to treasure and handle That's right. and everything. That's now, right. Now, do you see the book having another journey? Because you have written the epitome of Kimmy, Accept and Embrace It All. But definitely, is this like a one-time book, or do you see this book having a second part that maybe carries your story to the next half or to another half or maybe even examine Most
4: this life? Most definitely. Most And um, it will probably be more here to the uh, – because it Um, The book only talks about my marriages, so most definitely there's going to be another book, um, but there will be more of um, the essence of relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: And what are some of the things that you have learned about relationships that you wish more people knew? Because definitely um, even going through the hardships, I'm sure that there are some lessons you learned that you try to bring that into um, new relationships. I'm not sure if you're on the still on the second one or if you're in that single space or whatever space you may be in, but what are some of the les- lessons that you have learned that you bring into various relationships? Because we also have friendship relationships and we also have work relationships as well. Um, well,
4: definitely on a single end, but I've learned, um, one, two, of being anxious, just like it says in the scripture, will get you always caught up and in trouble. So mm-hmm. take time, even though we feel like we don't have time, we live in a microwave world, but at least invest your time to know, that, know yourself first. Yeah. Love yourself. Know the essence of you. And then know that partner. Right. I, I even took it even further with my job where I started transferring me – realizing and knowing me, but also knowing who I'm getting ready to determine of who I want to work for, what agency I really want to work for. And I felt I was going through three interviews at one time, and one of them I felt rushed. I felt like it was just like my anxiety. And and the way they were talking, I said, that's not right. Uh -uh." Uh-uh. But I took that as a lesson from my personal of ignoring me and knowing my signs. I know once you know you and once you embrace you and know the essence of you, you'll start making those wiser decisions, even in your work relationship and even in your personal relationship of what you want a part of your life to help you, to be an asset, to help you grow. Because we're going to continue to grow until we're, we're, we're gone. We can't grow no more until we're not physically here on earth.
3: Yeah, that's true, and even then we're helping other things grow because once we go, we become fertilizer. We want to be blunt about it and everything, so we're still helping the growing process even after we're gone, or at least our body part is doing that, our soul and spirit is up in heaven or maybe someplace else, depending on your belief system and all of that. But definitely, I'm even sometimes shocked, and I want to know your thoughts about this, about how – too often, and it comes back to that microwave mentality, we want to jump into relationships without letting mm-hmm. them develop and blossom. I can't tell you how many times that I'm single, even in my age of being in the late 50s mm-hmm. and everything, how oftentimes people are like, you know, they've met you, you maybe go on a date or two, you've had, even in some cases, a phone conversation mm-hmm. or two, and then they're ready to, like, you know, already start. To plan for the future, and you're going like I'm still trying to figure out how much of you I like, and how much of yes, we have things in common, but how much do right. we really have in common, and still try to develop right. the relationship. And sometimes it does seem that we, as a society, want to rush into things.
4: It's very important, and because. Like you were talking about lessons, I had that culture plus that mentality with my adopted parents that was stuck in my head of you quit, you get married, you don't point a case, you don't shack with a man, you get married, you get married. Not even understanding the true essence of marriage. Marriage should be with your best friend. It should be a foundation built. Like you said, it should be a foundation built. So how can you just quickly know somebody in two days or three days or a week? And say, you know, it's more physical. No, I, yeah. I refuse to do that again. You know, so um, I've I, I, I found, yes, I need a job, and I made one of the best decisions um, uh, just like maybe three m- months ago. I'll strip HC still the state, but um, I'm an asset to them, and they're an asset to me. They helped me grow already. You know, and this is what my life is. I'm able to share about it. Didn't come overnight, came now. I'm 48 years old, but it came and I'm taking it and I'm grabbing with it and I'm running with it. So, yeah, I might go on dates, but hey, it's not that I am going to be anxious, I'm going to take my time just like I want that person to take their time and know for sure. Right.
3: No, that makes a lot of sense. Also, don't you think it's important for us to? in that space as well as just in our workspace to make sure that we are trying to make sure that those space, whether it's work or relationships or if you've got kids, the kids, that it is grounded in all four elements of us. And by that, I mean the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and the physical. Because I sometimes think that we sometimes get too caught up in one aspect or another and leave out the rest of those. And I think that all four are important in all of our relationships, whether it's a work relationship, a school relationship, a um, romantic relationship or with, or even a business relationship. I think that they're all important right. to have those connections, and I think that sometimes we don't do enough of that and we let them get caught up in just one aspect or another or drop one or two of those aspects without even thinking exactly. about it. Exactly. So how important do you think it is to have a ground in, in all of the parts of our personality in the, our various relationships?
4: I think it's very important, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it no other way. Not in my age, and not in my season in my life. Um, money, that that one aspect will not move me. Just like you said, all four of them. and I take it literally, and this is the decision that I just made about one of my jobs of switching from another agency. When even when I was interviewing and. One of the interviews on another agency job, it was just. It, first of all, they started late. I was ready. I was sweating bullets. I said I have never been this nervous. And then they were talking. And then it was like it was yeah da 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 da. Um, not even excuse me. Just hold on for a minute. I said, as my anxiety got to come up like this on in the interview, what you think is going to happen if I take this job? I don't care how much money they're going to offer. I can't. I can't afford anything to mess up my mental health. Not at this time
3: no so it, even with the work,
4: it would be it would be a relationship too it would be a friendship romantic or whatever because yep. like you said all four of them are important to me and all four of them should be important to everyone
3: no, I definitely agree. All four of them need to be very important, and unfortunately, we don't give them enough marriage as we should, unfortunately. But um, I also come to wonder if we even put enough emphasis on our mental health in our work environment, not just our emotional environment, but our work environment. Because you just talked about your job interview, and I've been in different jobs, and I can definitely tell that they were. Toxic situation. So, how do you deal with toxicity in the work environment? Because there are times that you are placed in an environment, you know, because they oftentimes would tell you, you know, just leave it or disregard it. But, you know, that's easy to say if it's something that is something that you can move away from. like, But there are other toxicities that you have no choice in, like your certain family elements. You can't necessarily leave all of them all the time, depending on what right. your family situation is. And the same with certain jobs. I mean, yes, you might um, guide yourself out of the job or find a way to exit it, but if you're smart, you don't want to make a um, drastic departure. So sometimes you have right. to deal with toxicity, and maybe you can move to another department or move some other way. But how do you address it in um environment that you are more established in that I can even argue that that can even happen in the church
4: right well, one thing I started transferring is the self- care. If I can do okay. it and I continue to work on it through my personal life i'm going to i'm gonna apply it to my job and if I feel this is this is an individual growth that I had. If I feel like it's not being recognized or it's not being offered, it's not give, being given or embraced with a job that I and I continue to see myself spiraling down. I have to make a decision. That's one thing I I, I say when um I used to um, like I said in, in my career path and I remember some people would sit in the chair and say to me um. I've been working at this job for 20 or something years. And I said, well, do you like it? I hate it. And I'm saying to myself, and I'm looking at it, I said, so why are you there? <laughs> why why, yeah. why would you invest that time? And you hate it to make a decision for yourself and not um, so much rely on approval or support because that may never come. But when you see yourself going to a, a different uh, direction that's not good, that's negative, that's that that's not helping you grow. That you're stagnated or you're going down. You have to make a decision for you.
3: Yeah, definitely you got to make that decision for you and all of that. So There's no I doubt about it, that. I
4: transfer that self care to my pers my my professional life and. Um, I – it's just crazy that you said something about that because I just got a um, email. We we have a whole our whole agencies on this five day self care, um, uh, kick and the first one challenge was write down ten things about yourself that you love, and it made us stop and just write some stuff down. And people were posting on what they they um, wrote down, and I was like, okay, here we go. You know, I'm I'm excited to see what challenge number two is, but this is this is a part of a job embracing that we need that we need to step back for a minute and stop giving 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 and saying okay let's look let's look at the 10 things that we know we love about ourselves
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Hey, uh, Dean, what is your thoughts about this? She's actually in your space because she's done a lot of work in social work, and I know you do that in the prison system. So she's right in your space. I want to know what your thoughts are about Kimia and what she's been going through and the life lessons that she's learned.
0: Sometimes we go through things and we think it's the worst thing in the world, but there's a lesson to be learned in every situation in which we uh, are a part of. Whether it be good right. or bad, um, sometimes we choose who. When we talk about relationships, we'll choose who we think is best for us,
1: mm-hmm. <clears throat>
0: instead of allowing the most high to send you the person mm-hmm. who is supposed to be for you. In the right. process, exactly. you really right in the process you realize that you and the other person are not on the same page you're not in the same book and you're in two totally different libraries so nothing <laughs> nothing works and but. then one day the lights come on somebody pays the bill and the lights come on and you look and you say you know what it's time okay, for me you to go it. it's time for you yeah. to go I always have love for you I don't necessarily love you I kind of hate your guts but, <laughs> but at the same time I have to leave because in yeah. order for me yeah. not to lose myself, myself,
1: that's right. I
0: mm-hmm. have to leave you where you are, and then right. you know it's a little bit of hurt there, and but you pick yourself mm-hmm. up, you dust yourself off. You know you faced a lot of obstacles where people have probably more than likely counted you out,
1: right.
0: but you kept going, and it, it was the will inside of you to say, you know what? Fall down seven times, get up eight. And I'll keep going. And every time you think I am not going to succeed, I have something to show you. And exactly, you know, watch the show because it's going to be live and in color. And you also said something about I like
4: being that. Old.
0: Live in color. Live and in color. Live <laughs> and in said color. Something I like that. <laughs> you also said something about being old. Now, I'm going to tell you about old. The word old is an acronym, and it stands for outstanding, lovable, and dedicated. So, when, oh, when somebody okay. says, are you old, oh.
1: then <laughs>
0: yes. And then you said oh, yeah. your birthday had just passed, so
4: happy belated
0: Happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. Um, Mark, this is another July baby, so, you know, my birthday is the day after yours.
3: Okay. Hey, we got the whole July collection going on <laughs> and everything, because like I said, that's a July birthday at the end of it. I'm actually at the beginning of the month, so we got the whole July thing going on July. over here wow. and all of that. here so comes We August. got the whole right. July thing happening. It's a July party. Y'all didn't know? It's yeah. a whole what? July party that we got going on it. here. <laughs> yeah, it might be August but we got the July party going on okay, in this part the July of the
4: party world. Going on. And on my month.
3: <laughs> it's your month but we got the July party going on and all of that. So definitely great to see that happening in that regard.
1: Okay.
3: One thing I was curious to ask you and I was just curious your thoughts about this is um What do you say to those that are the naysayers? Because oftentimes we've got the naysayers in society, and the naysayers oftentimes will find a reason for us not to go on our journey, not to have our completion of what we want and all of that. So when you run across naysayers, what do you tell them, and how do you tell them that you're not putting up with it? Because I oftentimes find that the naysayers will drive us crazy, but I was wondering what you tell the naysayers in your own world and how you deal with them in regards to that.
4: Well, um, and they are <laughs> they are naysayers, but i um, I had that confidence as um I got that timmy from my adopted dad, who gave that to me, so, and yeah. I'm like, I constantly say, "You know, tell your own journey. I know my journey, and I'm confident in m- me sharing and how my journey has placed me to who I am today." Love it or leave it. Love it or leave it. And and I, I got I got to uh, say what um, Dean was saying. I say um, even when I get approached, I said, let me tell you, I am there where I know this Kimberly, Kimmy, whatever you want to call me, is not meant for every man, and every man is not meant for Kimmy. <laughs> and I'm embracing that.
0: <laughs> That's right.
3: No, I know'
4: right so god god given man that's right,
3: <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense, and definitely, it sounds like you've got a very winning attitude about that, and probably uh they need to understand that you are a strong person, I sometimes. I'm shocked, and I was wondering your thoughts about this, not just the trials and tribulation part, but I've got friends that are professionally successful, and they're professionally successful women, and sometimes they tell me that they have a hard time in the relationship base because men, not saying all men, but a lot of men are Mm -hmm. intimidated by their professionalism. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, is that something Mm -hmm. you've got to deal with, and how do you get you and your friends out of that situation? Because I'm thinking it probably is something that you deal with, and I'm wondering how you cope with it, and what you do in that coping, and what words of advice you give to others that are going through that struggle
4: well yeah so like i said i know that i just embrace that i know i'm not for every man and every man's not for me i'm a a, and that's far far as what we talked about before about me me accepting and embracing my true essence i've always been a go go getter i've always been a person that wasn't complacent if i and I, you took. I would tell each one of my kids, especially when they got their first job. I remember when my son was telling me, "I'm here working at McDonald's. This is my first job." Um, I said, I went by and seen them. I said, "I need to talk to you outside for a minute." Well, how, how long is your break? And He said, "I'll be um, on break in a few minutes." So I went outside. I said, "Look," I said, "It's my first time seeing you here, and you ordered my food." I said. The next time I come to see you, you're going to be either a manager or franchise at McDonald's. You don't just stay here. Nothing wrong with being at McDonald's, but you just don't stay here. And well, he was a manager within a year closing. And he stayed there for about three years before he was a uh, manager at Boost Mobile. But I just I, – and, and like you were saying, and some and knowing another person, that's why you have to get to know another person. Some men are – Intimidated by the go-getter, the drive, the um, the not wanting to be complacent, um, wanting to always um, reach the highest potential, and um, inferior of the shine. Well, if we, sh- if I shine, you shine. I'm your wife. I'm your mate. This is how I should feel. And you shine. You make me shine. Let's shine together. What's, what's wrong with that?
3: That's the way it should be and everything. When did you feel that you had your leadership abilities? Because, like I said, it definitely sounds like you are a, a strong leader and all of that, Then, definitely um, I'm picking up those leadership qualities. So at what point did you recognize that you were a leader? And I think that people can recognize that at various points in their life. So at what point in your life did you recognize that you were a true leader?
4: I kept getting called out. I kept running from it. <laughs> Believe it or not, I kept running from it. When I got called into the ministry, I knew that that was part of it. But then when um, I went back to school, because I had quit school, when I went back to school, um, well, I didn't go back to school. It was a, a program that started on Nature Shore, and I was one of the first candidates that, that uh, was one of the candidates that out of 11 that they had chose. And so we got the same diploma that we would get in, um, in um, high school, but it was called External high school diploma, uh, uh, no, external high school program. And you had to go like 12 or 15 weeks, something like that. But anyway, that's, came to me too. It was pointing out that I had the leadership and I kept running because like I said I had to work extra hard with the uh, um retaining information. Like I had to read, 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 I had to write notes. Sometimes you'll see me and have them in my bedroom sticky notes and reminders and stuff like that. Because um retaining information is just uh one of the intellectual disabilities that I had. So um one of the um teachers there, she kept saying to me, she said, um, I'm not going to play with you. I'm going to give you tough love, tough love. You're you're. I know you're married. I know you have kids. But you're going to have to show up. If you don't show up, I'm not going to fool with you. Don't waste don't waste my time, and I won't waste yours. I'm telling you, I went home crying. I came back, and you telling me, look, I'm telling you, I was on on the ball. It she when she showed me that tough love, I really showed out. I really showed out my leadership. So out of the all the participants, I'm the one and four others, I think it was five of us, she comes to me and she says, I want you to speak about the program. Oh my gosh, no, no, no. She said, yes, you are. I want you to speak about the program. So when I see myself um, featured in the newspaper, in our local newspaper, I said, you know what, I got to stop running from this leadership because the more I run, the more people see it and pull, and pull pull it out of me. Yeah.
3: Yeah, okay, That makes a lot of sense and everything. You mentioned the disabilities. I actually have um, something called um, dysgraphia. It's like a form of dyslexia. It means that me and left and right are not the best of friends. So, so it's like if
1: you're okay. driving somewhere yeah, and I I've got to like,
3: go left or right, then I get a little uh-huh. bit... Um, lost in that and everything. And there's some other parts of it as well. But I right. was not diagnosed with that until I was an adult. So, like I said, I think mm-hmm. I was probably in my 20s or 30s till they even told me about it. So I went to school just knowing that I was, you know, had a difference of some sort or another, but not having a name for the difference until after I went to school. And they were like, well, you've got dysgraphia. But oftentimes I feel that we don't even have those conversations or even bother to get those kind of tests. And I think mine was actually done through Goodwill because, you know, Goodwill does does a lot of mm-hmm. types of programming. So I think that if I remember correctly, it was done through Goodwill. So I just wonder your thoughts about how we oftentimes – we alluded to it earlier – don't do a good enough job of even – trying to find out why people are the way they are, whether it's a learning disability or whether it's a thing like um, which dysgraphia or even dyslexia would be considered one of those as well or whether it's a, another type of disability. And Actually, earlier today, I was interviewing a young lady from Canada who was blind from birth and is now a pretty good folk singer and all of that but is doing great mm-hmm. with her career and that's Heather Hutchison. But I was just wondering your thoughts about the way that we address disabilities or just um, whether it's mental or emotional or physical disabilities in your mind
4: well um hope I'm hoping and I see a whole lot of celebrities getting on board, and I love that about the mental health and encouraging and supporting that and advocating for that, but still again, when we 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 have to be determined to find the truth and get it for ourselves I was my my pet my journey. I was a statistics They had it on paper that I would abuse my children. When I get children, I would be one that would give them away because of what I went through and that I would not read or write effectively. I hold degrees. I was determined to search for myself what my diagnosis, I knew it was something. Because I, I, you get, and Lord knows, don't get one drink in me. Don't get a mar- margarita in me. But I can switch up some words. You'd be like, did you just, I know you just didn't make that up. But you, you, it came out your mouth just like it's a really, really phrase that everybody says. <laughs> but I'm, like, I'm telling you, in, in, in my mind, I know the correct phrase, but the way it comes out, it is just totally different. And, like I said, retaining information. Like I work extra hard to get something, but once I get it, you can't take it away from me. I'm like beep, 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 beep on on the cycle on what I have to do, but it takes me forever to get it. So like I said, I had to search that out myself though. I said, I know something's not right. Now, now that I know, and those statistics is taboo, because none of them ever happened. I sure can read and write. <laughs> but um and all my four adult kids can tell you something differently, even down to five year olds. But um uh I had to I had to find out myself and search it and even down to mental health. I continue to go, um waiting for my insurance to kick in and I'm gonna be right back with the therapist that I gave kudos in my book because it's my help. It's my asset. It's an investment for me. It's an investment for my journey. It's an investment for my husband-to-be. So why wouldn't I do it for me? And that's what people need to do.
3: That makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of the ministry, you know, oftentimes you hear people talking about the calling and getting that calling and everything. At what point did you feel that you knew that you wanted to be a minister and was it a true Um, religious calling that you felt and everything. I've never had the chance to ask a minister of that, so I'm getting the chance to ask you now. So the whole (laughs) ministerial calling aspect. So I just want to know the whole aspect of how it worked for you. And I know it worked differently for different people.
4: And, well, I'm going to be short about this, but I knew that I had a calling It. it it it's in one of my chapters of my book when I was um, in my 20s. Matter of fact, I was I was married, and I kept dreaming. And I went to a female pastor to ask her, was I going crazy? Then I went to my um, pastor that um, my adopted parent had me in his church that I called my pop-up. And I talked to him, and he embraced it. And I did my trial sermon underneath him. He had been at our church over 50 years. But I'm still, what I had to accept and embrace, do you know what? I'm still ministering. I'm still staying true to my calling. What I had to embrace is it's not always behind the pulpit. I am truly mm. called, but
3: yes. it's
4: not in the pulpit. I I am called every day, and my essence shows it.
3: Well. That makes a lot of sense, and I think a lot of people, we do have a ministry or some messenger kind of element to our lives because I would argue that that's part of what my, uh, I won't say calling, but part of my duty is is to actually help spread the Positive messages of people, like people like you Mm -hmm. and some of the other guests that Mm -hmm. I've had, and I think that that's part of my uh, gift because I think there is a gift that we are all given, and part of mine is to not just spread my own word, but also through interviews and other things, spread the word of others so that those messages can get out there to different people, whether it's reaching one or whether it's reaching one million, but it's getting out there in the face and all of right. that, and hopefully it's touching people in a way as well because maybe somebody's watching and they're like getting the message, whether it's from you, whether it's from Dean or whether it's from some of my other past right. guests or whatever else. So I think that that's definitely something that we have to understand is why, the, why we do the things that we do in life. But one of the things I was right. curious about is that you are a or have had the past being a woman in the calling as well, or women in the church. Mm. And I do know that sometimes mm-hmm. the church does not give women the kind of ability to have that kind of power as much as we probably should. So I was just wondering your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that, because I am sometimes frustrated when I look up at certain churches and see all-male leadership when I know that society Mm -hmm. is actually, you know, at least 50-50 and probably greater percentage of you ladies than us guys, but it's at least probably Mm -hmm. 50-50. So I was just wondering your thoughts about how oftentimes we don't give women the Power structure. I mean, we got really excited when we saw, and I think rightfully so. Um, Camilla getting that position as um, yes. Yes.
1: the vice, uh, vice president, president and everything,
3: mm-hmm. and one yeah. breath away from being the president, and all in
1: mm-hmm.
3: that sense. But uh, mm-hmm. it can be religious institutions, it can be political institutions. I just don't think that we do a good enough job of getting support to our ladies. And I was wondering your thoughts on that.
4: Well. I wanted to say this, too, before I get there, um, when you were talking about the um, helping one another. Now, my adopted dad had a third-grade education. He comes from shucking oysters. But he used to always constantly remind me and say, Kimmy, if I can only help one person, then my living is not in vain. Understand mm-hmm. how your daddy is, how – I used to call him Daddy Bill, how Daddy Bill, this good old Daddy Bill is. Look at me as being a man and how I treat your mother and how I treat you and others is more important. But if I can't help one person, then my living is not in vain. Now, going to what you were saying about the ministry, um, it, I was, you know, um, in a denominational <laughs> church, I got to witness the stereotype, the judgmental, um, as far as, um, the men could do this. And the women could not do certain things, and they would overlook what men do, but if you did the same thing a man did in the ministry, you're cast out you're done and just like the divorce that i had i had uh got out of and while I was in church when I accepted the call in the ministry, they wouldn't support me and i I, I handed in my um my um ordination I said, please." Give me an honorable discharge out of this denomination since I will not be supported pretty much by getting a divorce. I refuse to stay in a marriage. So we oh. get a lot of churches now turning away from being um, a, denomino- a denomination churches because of these things. And I hope the denomination church gets to hear more about this and stand up and get better with this because neither one of us, sin is sin. If you wanna make everybody have rule, then it shouldn't be any different because he's a man and she's a woman.
3: No. Definitely. Definitely should not be any different than all of that. Now the other thing that I, I remember time, some
4: churches would not I'm s I'm sorry, I wouldn't remember some Those... churches um would not give me a title. Would say, Can we put down here Um, Evangelists or ministers I went through an ordination to be a reverend But that was their problem
3: Yep And speaking of their problem The other thing that I'm oftentimes shocked by And amazed by As part of even your journey as well Is how often we don't want to talk about Whether it's in the church or in society Child abuse And child abuse is a very real problem Mm -hmm. and everything And I sometimes Mm -hmm. think that we don't do a good enough job Of addressing it So I was just wondering and what is your thoughts about um, child abuse and why we don't address it? Because a lot of times we don't even want to. I remember there was a day, and me and Dina talked about it, when we were very much in touch with our neighbors. So, you know, we might discipline mm-hmm. the neighbors, but we would also put them in check if we felt that they were doing something wrong in the way mm-hmm. they were raising their kids and all of that. And I don't know if there's enough of that going on now. So literally I think that we could literally be almost next to child abusers, and it might be even worse but not know about it because we're not having that neighborhood conversation and going to just uh, check on our neighbors. So I was just wondering your thoughts about that and the ways that we can even recognize child abuse. Because, like, as one that went through it, you might even have some ideas that people can recognize it, including maybe just checking on people and checking on the kids and maybe even asking them certain questions to see if there are things that we can do. But I also know that we as a people are afraid to intervene. We're afraid that the people might get upset Mm -hmm. and feel that we are um, taking over their parenting options or doing their parenting duties and everything. So as one that went through that, what is your thoughts about that, and how do you think we as a society should address this very important issue of child abuse?
4: Well, like we were talking about before, you know, it's, it's one thing for us to change the cycle and patterns, but also once we change them, to stick with a continuous and a consistency change that is a good change or going back to what was working. Like you said, checking on, like um, I remember saying in Columbia, Maryland, and we all in that development checked on each other's children. And it wasn't so much about what, why is he coming over here or why are they, why are they um, saying where where, where she is and so and so. It's none of their business. No, it was intervening. It was making sure that we had compassion and empathy for each other and concern for our kids. So um, I'm on board with that of now that I have this five-year-old and all mine has grown. I still mentor and I still – do what I can to say, look, as my father said, if you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I do stand on making sure that I'm an advocate for a child. Hey, you can come and talk to me. The parents, you can come and talk to me. I know it's not easy. I know I'm not here to judge you, but let me know. It's okay. Sometimes a lot of times they go through and a lot of people go through journeys and I can't tell you how many times that I went through my lessons and journeys and and tribulations and at that time I thought I was the only person in the world going through what I was going through.
3: Well, but you, yeah, but then we find out there's so many other people going through it. That exactly. even come back to the way that we
4: exactly. treat
3: society, and that's even yes. come back to the way we treat society. Because I've got friends yeah. of mine that are single parents, and in some cases even single grandparents. And sometimes they get frustrated because they mm-hmm. feel that people are writing them off in the dating pool because you know society has already mm-hmm. figured that they've already gone through life and that they've got a lot of baggage in their life, being in the right. kids and in some cases right. the grandkids, not understanding that. If they find the right person, the right person will mm-hmm. take them for who they are and and who they are is all of who they are, meaning that if they got kids mm-hmm. or if they got grandkids, that person understands that and will take them for understanding that and a lot of times won't also try to take on those other roles because, like I said, I think that sometimes that's a mistake that we as society make is that they sometimes want to become instant father or instant grandfather when you need to figure out how you're going to become uh, a good husband or a good significant other right. before you can even step right. into those other roles. And hopefully roles. the other partner right. is doing that role as well. But if they're not doing it, you still don't want to just jump into it until you've established the relationship part of the role. So I think you've got to establish right. one relationship before you can go into the other relationships. Uh, right. I, that's just right. my philosophy. I was wondering your thoughts.
4: Right. And what we were talking about before is like, and it's easy, I'm, you know, we're all human. I get frustrated sometimes, but what I keep in mind um, that I before I lay down and I put that five-year-old to bed is where I am now is not where I'm going to be tomorrow, next week, next month. God has that in his hands. What I need to do is embrace every moment and every day that he gives me to wake up with her, with my six grandchildren, with my past. Right. And let him work, like Dean was saying. And let him work because what I have to embrace and respond to from and 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 giving it it to him the negative energy, the frustration, the anxiety. I'm going to be a light to someone, like you said, that is ready for me, and that's how they have to look because it can. It's you know it it, it can. I start it all over, you know, yeah. and. She's an angel, but when you're going into a relationship, that's, that part, that that child and the grandkids become their, their, their life, too.
3: Right.
4: But like, like I said, we all human, and we all have emotions, but what I've learned through that book and what I learned through self-care is when I start getting anxious, when I start feeling frustrated, when I for, start feeling overwhelmed, I start thinking, Kim, come back to your true essence. Be grateful for where you're at now. Oh, yeah. you, you're you you you're able to stay a whole week with her in Ocean City see one of your best friends. You don't know what the next month's going to bring.
3: Yep, that's very true.
4: You, what you know you what I mean? When we, when, when we respond to our situations that we're in, God is God is watching. Not only God, but people. And I've missed it sometimes, and how I've dealt with my, um, you know, situations at times. But I thank God that I accepted and embraced mental health because one one of those divorces I wanted to check out. He did everything a monkey could do. I mean, he wanted to destroy me because I wasn't going to come back. But here again, you have to know you and accept what you want in your life, you know,
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you say to those people that don't want folks to be activists in their activist space? Because it seems to me like the book is also very much about being an activist, and I know that our athletes and our entertainers are sometimes activists as well. So what do you say to those that want to deny people their activist space when they're in a creative zone?
4: Want to deny it? Uh
3: Uh-huh.
4: Want to deny their activist space?
3: They, they they want to allow the activism to take place. So they want to fight against that activism. They want to, like, not uh, be supportive of the activism, I guess it's the of way you Of you being open? Right.
4: Um, well, I can only say I just – I have that with majority of my siblings um, mm. that had a relationship with the same mother that I, I, I experienced, what I experienced. I have to right. live my truth. Right. I'm never going to stop being me. God placed me on this earth, and I and I also continue to remind myself that I'm wonderfully, fearfully made. It's going to be only one Kimmy until he calls me home. You get what I'm saying? So, hey, right. I can only be me. Right. And you either take it or you leave it. But you're not going to shut me up. You're not going to make me run. You're not going to make me hide because this is not what he called me to do in my journey. Or you. Yeah. Now, if you oppose on anything and you feel that you don't want to share your journey, you want to keep it up, that's on you, but you're not going to stop me. You're not going to stop. It's almost like that light. You're not going to. How in the world will I allow you to stop, stop my light from shining when you didn't give me my light? <laughs>
3: That is so true and everything, definitely a very powerful statement that you said there and everything, and I feel like I can relate to that and definitely see where you're going with that. Hey, Dean, uh, what are some of your thoughts as you're hearing Kimmy talking about the space that she's in and maybe you want to share about some of the things that – You've gone through just in that um, guard space and the administrative space there in the prison system because you've definitely been an administrator in that space for a number of years. And, of course, I know that you're always given some very positive advice about how a good marriage can work because you've had one that has lasted now for a number of years, unlike those that have gone in the bad side. So I'd love to hear some of your reflections on what Kimmy is saying about her life and how it can even relate to you and your life.
0: Well, uh, I guess each each person is different in their own respect. Um, when you find that one person who compliments you, not the mm-hmm. person that that uh, like I said before, the person that you were looking for, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, and and the whole <laughs> board fell apart. But when you find that person that compliments you, that finishes your sentences, that knows what you're thinking even before you say something. You know, you hold on to that person because that person, you know, as it does say in the Bible to a better one for they have a good reward for their labor. Right. So Mm -hmm. that person is there to help you and pick you up when you fall to keep you motivated when you start to feel down to uh, make you laugh when sometimes you just want to curse. But right. they balance; they're there to balance you out, you know. And, and right. yes, I've been fortunate for the last two decades, you know. Shout right. out to Doctor,
1: shout out to Doctor
0: Diamond, who puts up with me <laughs> and who has put up with me because I am not the easiest person to get along with. But at the same time, that's what who I call my tag team partner. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's one of those things where. When you find it, and they say, "You know a man who findeth the woman findeth the good thing right right and, and but you have to be patient and wait for it. You can't force it right. and, and and we also have um to work on leaving all of your baggage at the train station,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because whatever happened to you before." You know, don't bring it into the new relationship. And subconsciously, we do it a lot of times.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just
0: natural. This is who I am. This is me. And these are the things I've been through, who made me who I am. But then that person is looking at you and said, "But I didn't do anything to you." Right. So you gotta be. You know, you may you may make your blessing turn around and walk away if you keep bringing all the baggage mm-hmm. with you. got Leave that baggage at the train station because a new car just pulled up and said, "Come on, you want to ride? It's up to you whether you want to mm-hmm. ride or whether you want to catch that train with all your bags, looking mm-hmm. for the next stop." You know, so it it, it takes time, it definitely mm-hmm. takes patience, and it, it takes a faith that when it is time, you will be sent what is for you.
3: You know, mm-hmm. that makes, I know that my, makes a lot of sense. I,
0: uh, I know, Mark, you asked me to talk about the, the the other thing. Man, listen, all that stuff is confidential. I got six years, 11 months, and, we got somebody and else two
1: in the door days
0: before I call it quits. You know what I mean? But at the same time, yeah, we do have somebody else at the door. Let's find out who's uh, – because they've probably been sitting there for, for a couple of minutes. But all right. Let's see. Let's see. As soon as we can get them in. Thank you for calling Straight Talk with Dana Mark. You are now on the line. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from.
2: I'm Heather Hutchison, I'm calling from Canada. We wow.
1: were just talking
3: about you, Heather. You I'm doing? glad that Heather called. Heather is the young lady that I was talking about. Just had her on my live stream, and I did ask her to call here as well. But she's the young lady that is an amazing singer and is definitely in that space of being a blind singer, but definitely not letting things okay. stop her either and everything. So she can definitely relate to what we're talking about, but I'd love to hear her words. She might like to hear about Kimmy as well. So um, Kimmy, Heather um, is a, love well, tell you, First, Heather, about Kimmy, but Kimmy is a author that has gone through a lot. She has been through um, domestic abuse. She has been through child abuse as a youngster. She has been through a number of other things, including definitely um, abandoned at six as a child, definitely been in some bad relationships that were domestically abusive. But through all of that, she got through it all and definitely has been a um, true force of positivity In the world and all of that and definitely is spreading a word of how we can go through resilience and actually your book deals with that as well because you talked about mental health also in your book and definitely it's a very important part of your journey even in dealing with blindness and everything so I love to hear your thoughts because we've been talking a lot about even on this show mental health and the wellness journey because definitely after all that Kimmy's been through She's had to go through a lot of things, but I'd love for you to share the journey that you've been through, both being blind since birth and also having to face your mental health um, situation. So I'd love to hear you share that so that Kimmy can learn about it, and maybe she'll even have some thoughts for what you've been through and y'all can share together.
2: Yeah. So I, as you said, I'm a singer-songwriter. I was born blind, and I've struggled with mental health challenges. Since I was pretty young, and in the kind of the beginning of the pandemic uh spring of two thousand and twenty, I was actually hospitalized for psychiatric care and I was in the hospital when I decided that I had to share my story both as of a blind person in Canada and Latin America, and of my struggles with mental health um because I just felt like you know it was an important thing for people who hadn't been through it to hear, and it was an important story to share in solidarity of people who have been through it.
3: Yeah, no doubt. Um, And before um, Kimmy may have a question for you and everything, but um, how important was it for you to have that conversation around your mental health, Um, Heather? Because definitely we talked earlier, and I just think there's something that needs to be even heard on the podcast and on the radio side as well. Just the importance of us even dealing with mental health because, as I told you before, I sometimes feel that our school systems, and that's even what me and uh, Kimmy were talking about as well, that we don't do a good enough job of dealing with it in our institutions be that the school, be that the church, be that the wherever. So, I was just wondering your involvement with mental health and whether you were even having people recognize that because even Kimmy was saying that when she was going through an abusive situation, she went to her minister one time and the minister was like asking her if she was um, having uh, sex and things of that nature and not even dealing with the reason for the abuse and wanting to get her out of the abuse. They wanted to do something totally unrelated and, un, uh, in my mind, very reprehensible. But I was just wondering your thoughts as to whether your institutions that you were part of, whether that's school or church or whatever, were being um, understanding of what you were going through.
2: Yeah, I think that's really unfortunate, and I think a lot of it comes down to lack of education. People don't know how to help. I think in my case, there were definitely signs from very early on, and I hope that it's changing bit by bit, and people are having more conversations, but as a kid growing up in the 90s, you know, my teachers, my parents were kind of seeing these signs, and everybody was just kind of like, oh, you know, she'll grow out of it. It's it's a phase, but, you know, clearly it wasn't, but... You know, the longer that goes on, the harder it is to reverse.
3: And one of the things we were talking about before you jumped on was just therapy in general and a lot of times in the various societies, it not being accepted. So when you realized that you had to go to the therapy, were people acceptable of it or were they trying to, like, put stigma on that notion of therapy?
2: People were pretty good. I think, you know... I don't know how kids are now, but I started going to therapy when I was thirteen, and it just wasn't something you really talked about with with your friends or anything. You kind of kept that part of it to yourself. So,
3: yeah, that makes a lot. You just kind of kept it to yourself and all of that. What do you say to that, Kimmy? Because definitely, I have agreed with what Heather's saying that a lot of times people will internalize it and keep it to themselves, and not necessarily bring out their truisms.
4: Yeah, um, it's, it happens to a lot of us by, and I think one of my chapters is about silence, the silence cry, is that, um, once we, once we form that type of habit, it becomes a part of us where we just, um, keep it within. And I've learned to release, you know, um, how I feel my emotions and what is, what is acceptable for me, and what isn't acceptable for me. Instead of carrying or harboring it all in, and feeling like I we don't have a voice and we don't have a say. And um, uh, I heard a person saying habit becomes habit. It started from my foundation when I was little when it wasn't encouraged, it wasn't taught. What was what was said was mm-hmm. I see that you're upset when you lay down and you get up. Um, it'll be all better. Well, then I started adapting that type of tool and my depression. Guess what? It fell in me going to sleep and trying to sleep it off that one day, one hour, two hours weekend to be like two or three days. Just go home, go to work and go to sleep. So wow. it's, it's it's something that people more than what we believe is being silent. Um, holding it within instead of being um, vocal or communicating with someone that they trust and, and getting uh, assistance.
3: Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that and everything. And definitely, um, I was just wondering, Heather, what has been your own experiences with dealing? And we talked about this when I had um, definitely Heather on earlier. But Kimmy, what has been your own experiences in terms of dealing with folks that are facing disabilities? Because I sometimes feel that we sometimes give them or try to give them the pity party, and um, and as Heather made it very clear to me in our earlier interview, that's something that they really don't like, and definitely wish that society did not do a lot of. But I let her speak for herself on that regard. But I definitely wondered. Your own ways, even with your own kids and grandkids, how you dealt with that disability space. You asking me? Yes, I'm asking you. Yes, oh. and I'll go. Oh, okay,
4: uh, okay. Um, well, even then, um, um, back in resource for six years, and I, I remember the vivid. i um Izzy, uh, the the lizard for six years. I never wanted to be uh, looked at as uh, pitiful or pity. Um, I remember um, one of the hurtful words came out of somebody's mouth to me and I, I cried because I knew that's what I never wanted to be was a victim. I just wanted to be heard. I didn't want to be different. I didn't want you to look at me differently.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, by the way, um, Heather has also gone through some um, stuff in the, that, um, I mean, Kimmy has also gone through some stuff in that space of disabilities because she's definitely had some diagnosis around, like, Um, health and mental health and things along those lines. So definitely, Heather, could you share a little bit about what, and maybe elaborate a little bit more about what you meant, when sometimes people want to go into that pity party aspect of looking at somebody that's blind and not necessarily wanting to recognize you as being the beautiful person that you are both inside and out?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from fear. People try to project, you know, their own fears and preconceptions onto me, like, oh, my God, what would it be like if I woke up tomorrow and I was blind, right? Like, oh, I have to feel right. sorry for her. But they're missing the fact that, you know, this has been my life for mm-hmm. for my whole life. So, like, you you adapt, right? You find ways to do it. And, and like you said, Kimmy, we don't want pity. We want right know, acceptance, inclusion. Right. That's the key word. Thank you. That is the key word,
4: and I am so it's so it's an honor, and privilege to talk to you. And uh, kudos to your book. I got to get the name of it so I can I, I can get it. So um, that is the key word that acceptance. Um, and um, like I was telling him in the beginning, my front cover is accept and embrace it all. Until I got that word of acceptance, it can can be a pro and a con in your life. But once you get that balanced out, because for years I tried to accept seek acceptance, and until I found it within, you know, um, that's when things started really moving and um, transforming in my life.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and definitely, that's just amazing at everything. Heather, one of the things I was curious about, and it even comes back to acceptance, one of the oldest tricks that people have had in there and has wondered, as one that has been blind from birth, how you feel about this, but a lot of times, kids, and yes, sometimes it's the encouragement of their teachers and everything, do that whole concept of you know close your eyes walk around the classroom or walk around the streets Mm -hmm. and everything with your eyes Mm -hmm. closed if that is supposed to give some sort of feeling or connection to those of you that have been blind particularly those that have been blind from birth so do you feel that those kind of exercises help with empathy or are they just kind of like exercises in um, Fake gratitude or fake support and everything along those lines? Or do you think that those kind of exercises actually give people a perception or a perspective of what y'all are going through? Because I know that that's been common for decades.
2: I actually think in some cases it can increase people's fear and people's anxiety because they don't have the tools that we learn over years to adapt. Like there's actually a restaurant here where you go in and and the whole place is dark and you have to eat your meal completely blind Mm -hmm. because you're in the dark. And, you know, people are just, like, fumbling all over the place. Like, they don't know what to do. So leave that experience thinking that that's how it must feel for us.
3: Well, so they're, like, in that space because it's very dark and they're feeling that they're giving you some sort of – having that experience that you've gone through, but it's not really a true experience like it would be for what you have to go through and all of that. And it's amazing Mm -hmm. the way that people do that. But you don't see them do that as much with those that are going through mental ailments, whatever those mental ailments are. Like I don't know of anybody doing a similar kind of test for those that might be having an emotional disconnect or a mental uh, ailment, whatever that may be, even something as simple as dyslexia or, or autism or, um, attention deficit disorder or something like that so do you think that there maybe there's different ways that we even treat the disability community and try to maybe give one a different advantage over the other because to me it seems like it should be that we embrace you all as individuals and just realize that we all have different disabilities as i said earlier i might have said it in this show i know i definitely said it in the earlier one with you um heather i think that we all have a disability of one sort or another Hello?
1: Hello?
3: Yep. Yeah, I don't know, there was a little bit of interference there, but sorry for that. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. But would you agree that we all have a, what somebody may consider a disability of one sort or another? Because I'm of the opinion that we all have something that is. Can, can be considered a disability. Uh, just like I don't know that I, I think that there is really a truly sane person in the world, because I think we all have a yeah. level of insanity just to be in this world. <laughs> I think we all have some form of a disability. So I just wonder y'all's thoughts on that. So I guess I'll start with you, Kimmy.
4: Well, I, I, like I told you before, I, I definitely agree. We're w- one thing we we have to, and even in the uh, ministry and in the you know the secular world, um, to understand we're all human. Right. We're all human, and we're no one is going to be perfect. And like I was trying to tell one of my my middle adult girls, she goes she's going through um, a uh, little this. Disorder um, uh, as far as her home, um, harmonial, it's, it's a female bank. And I told her, I said, you know, um, Candid, I said, we all have flaws. It is when I started to embrace my flaws that it started being the beautifulest thing to another person. But I had to act on. My flaw, too, if it became such a flaw to me, I had to do the research and I had to do what I had to do to be satisfied within myself that I'm doing all I can to clear up this flaw. You know, I had to take care of my body better. I, I, I work on my uh, fluid intake. I don't drink sodas at all because I'm prone to um, break out. You know, so I had to do my job, and I and I had to remind her: faith without works is dead. Once you do your job, and then you embrace what you're doing, you leave the rest to God. So we are all humans, and one thing about us humans is that we're we're so quick to point out another person's flaw, but won't rectify our own.
3: That's very true. Won't, um, Heather, won't what come real thought?
4: with our own, you know. Yeah.
3: Very true. Heather, what is your thoughts on that? And would you agree with me that my argument that we probably all have a, if you want to use that term, a disability or a um, disadvantage of one sort or another, no matter who we are as humans and everything, I think that we all suffer from some sort of uh, different different advantage or different ability. And I think that that's part of what makes us unique and everything. But what Mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think so, for sure. I think practicing empathy is extremely yeah. important, but not in the, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're never going to know what it is to walk in somebody else's shoes and, mm-hmm. you know, projecting our own fears onto them isn't going to help either of us. So to me, the true definition of empathy is to just meet people where they're at.
3: Mm-hmm. No, no, no doubt about that. Definitely amazing
2: yeah. and
3: everything. And I definitely, I definitely agree to you that we have to meet them where they at and everything. Um, earlier, um, definitely Heather, Kimmy had mentioned that she wanted to get your uh, music and so definitely I was going to give you an opportunity to verbally put out where they can do that. And I'm going to either download or get you to send me at some point the track so that we can add it into our tracks that we play here so that folks can catch it on a later episode. And by the way, Heather, she has one of the most angelic voices, so both you and Dean, who I know will be the one to plug it in, will thoroughly enjoy it, because she definitely has an angelic voice and a very uh, lovely voice, so I think that y'all will thoroughly enjoy it when we get it plugged in and a later edition. But that being said, Heather, where can I find you? And just like I did on the other show, I always give people, I'm going to do the same with Heather, an opportunity to give their words of positivity, their words of encouragement.
2: So on social media, they can find me on Instagram at Heather Hutchison Music, on Facebook, Heather Hutchison Music. So you can also go to my website, which has information on my book and my music and all my social media links at www.heather-hutchison.com, H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. And Words of Wisdom, I think... You know, no matter what you're going through right now, I'm not going to give you empty platitudes that, you know, tomorrow's another day, it gets better, all those kinds of things. But I can promise you that there will come a day when you will feel so much profound joy and you will stop in that moment and you'll be so glad that you hung on because you will, you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this and just, just hang on for that day because it will come
3: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And before I get to uh, Kimmy and everything, awesome. with that same thought and everything, Heather, just really quickly, because uh, we alluded to it on the other show, what are your thoughts about um, the kids that are going through bullying? Because we kind of alluded to that with um Definitely, Heather, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about kids that are going through bullying and maybe even some of the bullying that you went through, because I know we talked on that on the other show, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how we can help those folks that are going through bullying, whether they're being bullied because of a disability or because of their weight or whatever reasons they're being bullied as a young person.
2: Yeah, I think, again, practicing compassion, you know, trying to figure out to where that bully is coming from, why, you know, what fear, what what pain are they projecting onto that? And then for me personally, I've tried to kind of, and and it does hurt, it is hard. But for me, I've kind of tried to inject a little bit of, like, sarcastic humor into it. Like, you know, people sneak up behind you and go, who am I? And it's kind of like an Mm -hmm. idiot or, you know, (laughs) they'll they'll ask me how many fingers I'm, or they're holding up and I'll, you know, put up a middle finger and go, I don't know how many am I holding up. And it's just kind of like, you know, I mean, it stops people and makes Mm -hmm. them think like, oh, yeah, that was kind of dumb. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, know, sarcasm is a great tool in terms of addressing people, and I'm definitely good at doing that as well, and I love both of those answers because I love the idiot answer, and yes, the middle finger definitely works as well if they're asking you how many fingers and knowing that you are um, in that blind space and everything, so I am a fan of sarcasm as well so kimmy is the same thing for you ways that they can find out about that lovely book of yours i gave the title earlier as well as ways that they can um words of encouragement that you may want to give folks as well
4: well yeah um i'm on um i have a website it's www.kimberlyannbell.com all my um inspiration quotes um is posted up there you'll be able to see my family and um And also get the title of the book, and it's on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles right now, The Epitome of Kimmy.
3: And uh, before you get to the words of positivity, the words of positivity for the folks out there in the global audience.
4: Well, I would say accept and embrace your journey. Um, It's not up to anyone else but yourself on how you respond to every change that comes about in your life, accept and embrace it all. Your journey is your journey.
3: That makes a lot of sense. This is actually for both of you before Dean gets to the wrap-up, and he may have thoughts for both of you as well. But before that, you mentioned inspirational quotes. I'd love to hear from both of you maybe an inspirational quote that you live by that helps you get by every day. And I don't care if it's a famous person or religious leader or whatever. So since you brought it up, I'll start with you. So, Kimmy, what is maybe a core inspirational quote that helps you get by every day?
4: Um. Just so recently with me celebrating my birthday, I just put a quote on that was from me that I was just um, sitting in a chair getting ready for my son and my adult kids to take me out. And I put, and it just came over me, it said, um, peace is not only worth fighting for. Um, no, peace is not only what's worth keeping, it's worth fighting for.
3: Well. Wow. I can definitely relate to those uh, quotes that we come up with our own selves, one that I've been using for years and everything actually has to do with the political world that we live in. And it's something that I've been using ever since my college days, which is, and actually I put it in a short story, which is, the insane shall rule the world. Oh, wait a minute. They already are. So that's kind of like a little right. quote that I put out mm-hmm. there for folks to think <laughs> on and reflect on and all of that and everything. Yeah. Um, Heather, is there any, like, inspirational quote or maybe an inspirational lyric in a song that always gets you to go by and have a thought of positivity every day as well?
2: I really like to remind myself that where there is life, there is hope.
3: Well, wow, that makes a lot of sense and definitely something that we should keep in our mind at all times. Dan, I know that the clock has expired, but we have those usually a few minutes of little extra time that the sign folks had blog talk givers, and everything. So, that being said, what are your thoughts about some of the inspirations? I know you gave some of your thoughts about what uh, Kimberly brought to this table, but we've also had Heather give us a little bit of her thoughts as well. And, of course, she comes from a very uh, useful space, but also a space in that disability community. So so I'd love to know That's your thoughts piece. about what That's she has shared piece. with us and uh, your thoughts about what she's got going on. And then after that, um, you of course, let folks know about what's going on here on the network as well as the, the rebroadcast. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about what uh, Miss Heather said.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to keep my comments real short because there's not a lot else. There's nothing else that can really be said other than the key to the riddle is perseverance. And, you know, by them continuing to keep on and not giving up, commended above all because at the end of the day, it's actually nighttime. But when it's all said and done, you know, they keep pushing, they keep fighting regardless of the obstacles that are are placed before them. And that is most important. Never giving up and always pushing through, you know, so – that's my thought on yep, that man i
3: I couldn't agree with you more. It's that pushing through and being perseverance and it's very important for us to do that no matter what life is throwing at us to be um, having that perseverance element and to know that we can accomplish the goals that we are looking for and all of that. So I couldn't agree with you more and we're going to try to find some more amazing guests um, next week because next week is not a holiday. I think we were coming up on a holiday so we may be getting off at that time but I think that's another two or three weeks away from now but we will definitely be here next week with some more amazing guests and Of course, we've also got the Black Business Expo that kicks off on the uh, international broadcast media, and that will actually start on Monday in the morning and run all the way until Sunday. So next week is going to be an insane week for me altogether. You think it's been insane the last couple of Mondays. It's going to be a week long of insanity with what Dr. Kelly and others have going on. But definitely looking forward to that uh, whole show and looking forward to a great conversation with them all and everything. But it's going to be some madness happening, but it'll be fun madness. But I was just wondering uh, if you could tell folks about the network that we're on and some of the ways that they can hear this replay. And of course, like I said, we will have some more amazing guests for folks next week already reaching out. I think I've already got one lined up for this space as well. So I just got to confirm it in the next couple of days.
0: Well, you know what, y'all? It's Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to catch the replays on the Skyhawk Radio Network tomorrow afternoon and Wednesday afternoon at three p.m. Well, two p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm sorry. And if you miss those, we do have replays. We have replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcast, PodChaser. Podcast Attic, CastBox, Pod Follow, Deezer, Geo Saving, and right here on Blog Talk Radio, where we are a part of the Level Podcast Network, where you can catch other shows like The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, The Chef Gang Radio Show, Funk from the Front Seat, Funk Music with Zach, Learning Unwrap, Less K 12 Better. Marketing with Russ, a.k.a. Hashtag Russ Selfie, Mona Shake and the Minority Reports, Mulling Music and Memories with Mark Lee, The Online Dinner Party with Mark Lee, The Plant a Good Seed Podcast, The Reinvention Road Trip, She's On Call, The Just Podcast, The Mark Lee Show, The Spin it Social Hour, Virginia Interface Live. WNC Original Music and of course, Straight Talk with Dana Mark. Now like I always say when you walk outside your front door showtime and the well as your stage just make sure that people are not watching a rehearsal. With that being said, it's the
3: six man Dane Geronimo have an outstanding week
0: and we see y'all in seven days.
3: And just one more thing really quickly, because I just thought about it at the last second, but one of the shows that we're doing, that being with Russ, Russ Hedge and everything, Russ did have a bout with the COVID, but he has been in recovery and it does seem like he is doing well in that recovery process, but our thoughts and prayers do go out to him and others that are fighting this ailment as well. So if they're in quarantine or whatever, and I think he's in the latter part of the quarantine and I actually saw him on Brian's show, so I can report that he is doing well in his recovery. We want that recovery to continue. So anybody that is listening, continue those prayers, continue those positive vibes for those like Russ that are suffering from the virus and are dealing with the recovery element. So definitely our prayers and thoughts do go out to our brother in our network and all of that. But like I said, I did see him pop to a show with Brian. I believe that was on Wednesday. I don't think it was the Saturday show, but it was one of those two. And I did see that he was in Good health, and it was also reported that the rest of his family members were recovering as well. And we do know that it can happen because I was actually supposed to be at work at the hay tide this weekend, but unfortunately, there was a dance class held over there, and one of the students managed to catch it as well. So they definitely had us all get tested and make sure that we were in good health or that we had not been anywhere near them. And that was the case in my case. I had not been near the person that was impacted. But whether it was impacted from the school or somehow the dance, they definitely put off some events there for a while as recovery is continues. So our prayers and thoughts go out to those that are recovering, however they may be doing that recovery. So just wanted to leave that thought that our prayers and thoughts do go out to Brother Russ.